0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Homestand, the official podcast of the Kansas City Royals. I don't know about you, but I am ready for baseball in 2023. There's no better way to kick this off than with our guest today, JJ Piccola. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
1: It is so exciting to be chatting with you. It's so exciting to be talking about baseball in 2023, is it not?
0: Well, when you get the sun behind you like this, it's <laughs> outstanding. So it's a good sign that baseball's around the corner. So yeah, it's, it's always a fun time of year. Start of spring training is great.
1: Yeah. Now, I know you do a lot of interviews and you get asked a lot of really tough questions and there's a lot of moments where it can be really hard to, to be the guy in your shoes. <laughs> I want you to take a deep breath. This is going to be a fun interview. <laughs> we are going to learn more about you as a person, uh, your career, your job, all those things. I think sometimes it, it's easy to get lost in the minutia of the fact that you have a position, but you're also a person and, yeah. and you've got had a journey to get to where you are. And we're going to talk about some of that today.
0: OK, great.
1: So get ready for it. OK, first of all, I want to talk about the fact you're an East Coast guy. Yeah. Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Tell me about Cherry Hill, New Jersey.
0: Well, it's, it's a suburb of Philadelphia, actually. And okay. I, I grew up in South Philadelphia, Southwest Philadelphia, went to school in South Philadelphia. So right where all the, the stadiums are. And I was a diehard Philadelphia fan in all the sports. But middle school, we moved to New Jersey. Actually, the same month that the Royals played the Phillies in the 1980 World Series, we, we moved to Cherry Hill. So it's, uh, you know, really 10 minutes, you know, on the other side of the bridge. So it's a uh, small town. Um you know, kind of blue collar, um, you know, actually very similar. I feel very comfortable in Kansas City because it feels a lot like home. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it was a great place to grow up.
1: You know, your accent, it, it's not bad, but sometimes it comes out when you say my name with the A's. Yeah, I hear that.
0: <laughs> I hear that with Carrie, Barry. Yeah. Yeah, my, my kids remind me all the time.
1: It's not bad. It, it's really not bad. Yeah. Every once in a while it comes out. But, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. That's yeah. where you're from. You still have family there?
0: I do. They all still live in Cherry Hill and in some town. My brother moved just outside, Medford, New Jersey. About 20 minutes away. Um, aunts, uncles, they're all still in the area. Actually, the interesting thing is when I was growing up, everybody was moving out of the Philadelphia area into New Jersey. Now, my cousins are tending to move back into the city. So okay. the moves back into the city. So, uh, but all still in that area. Really, I'm the only one that uh, sort of flew the coop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and here you came to the Midwest, which we love having you here, of course. Tell us some about college. You went on and still in the East Coast, NC State. Yep. And then George Mason. George Mason, yeah. So, stayed on the East Coast. Yeah. Tell us some about that.
0: Well, I played baseball in, in college and got the opportunity to go to NC State. Played there for two years. Played well my first year. Didn't play so well my second <laughs> year. And we like to call it the relocation program. They moved me on out and <laughs> went to another school, uh, but finished my last two years at George Mason and um, had a great time. Actually, met my wife there at George Mason. A lot of lifelong friends. So, I was really fortunate to find a a place where I landed on my feet, enjoyed playing baseball, and you know, got a small opportunity afterwards to play.
1: Did you? Was that always your your thought process in high school? Did you think I'm going to get to go and play baseball? Like, what was your goal in high school? Oh
0: yeah, no. I, I from the time I was a kid, I, I played all the sport. Well, at that time, all the sports was basketball, football, baseball. Uh, but I didn't focus on baseball really until my senior year in high school when I realized my future was more baseball. Yeah. I got drafted out of high school. Okay. Came close to signing. Uh, chose to go to NC State. Uh, but yeah, my dream was always to be a major league player, you know, and you always you always think that's going to happen and you're always working towards it. And then somewhere, you know, when you're 23 years old and I had some back and elbow issues and you're starting to realize I'm probably not going to play in the major leagues. I got to start thinking about something else. And uh, coaching was my next step. So I, I you know, was fortunate to stay in the game and be given the opportunity to coach.
1: Who drafted you, and was that a conversation you had to have with your parents? So my
0: parents are both school teachers, and um, you know they had no interest in me signing a professional contract. And at that time, a hundred thousand dollars was sort of the the going rate. You know that was if you got a hundred thousand dollars, you were doing very well. Uh, so they made a deal with me that if you get a hundred thousand dollars, we'll let you sign. So long story short, the Cincinnati Reds drafted me uh i was supposed to be a, a higher pick and slipped in the draft so they were watching me throughout the summer and i remember my last american legion game which american legion baseball has kind of gone by the wayside but my last american legion baseball game the scouting director for the cincinnati reds julian mock the area scout ray Bellino, came to my game i played well we sat on a park bench i was by myself without my parents i didn't have an agent um, and they were offering about eighty-five thousand dollars. and i said you know what we may need to take this conversation to my house because I need my parents' consent. And uh, ultimately my parents said the deal was $100,000. So so I ended up going to NC State about a week later. And I um, you know, really don't have any regrets about it because I have a lot of great friends uh, that I made at NC State. Still stay in touch with, all well, five or six of them. Uh, great experience there. We went to NCAA Regionals. Uh, we were a game short of getting to the College World Series. So it was, it was a great experience for me anyway. And then ultimately it led me to George Mason.
1: The uh, restraint that you have, if I were 17 years old and someone sat me down and said, I will give you $85,000, I'd have been like, I don't need yeah. mom and dad. Well, <laughs> so let
0: me, where well, can I sign? If I remember right, they had to sign as well. And oh, I don't and think bang. I was going to get them to sign.
1: <laughs> well, kudos to them for sticking to you know what what they had said. That's yeah. a tough negotiation, but it also yeah. gave you something to aim for too, didn't it? Yeah,
0: it, it was. And, and looking back on it, I, I have a much better perspective now. And I understand why they felt the way they did, have no regrets about it. Uh, I joke with them about it. You know, who knows what would, if I had signed, what would have happened? Um, they said, "Well, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing right now, more than likely." So it's funny how life takes you down different roads and ultimately led me to the Royals.
1: And I'm sure you understand their thinking now as a parent yourself. Uh, you know, going through those thoughts with your kids and whether they're going to college or whatever they're doing. But it always, what our parents tried to, you know, push us into or tried to hold us yeah. back from, it yeah. makes more sense once we get older, doesn't it? It does,
0: yeah. They get wiser. As we get older, our parents get wiser. Yeah. So they were they were on it.
1: Yeah. So you said coaching and, and you know taking that next step when, when you kind of realized that maybe playing wasn't going to be your long term you know path. What what was that thought process like? Was it something where you're like I'm going to do this right away, or did you think about it some? Like where what went through your head?
0: No, you know I, I was I, I ended up I got drafted again by the Reds. Uh, same scouting director uh, drafted me again three years later. Uh, I chose not to sign again. That time it was all my choice mm-hmm. um, not to sign. And then the following year I went back for my senior. Year, Played one year in the Yankee system. I had drafted. I went undrafted, okay. signed after the draft, um, but there I, I met Rob Thompson, uh, who's the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies now. He was the, one of the coaches on the short season team I was with, and he was the catching instructor, and that was the position I played. So we developed a good relationship then, and at the end of the summer, I, w- I was offered a chance to be a graduate assistant at George Washington University, uh, which I felt was the right thing for me, and. You know, I sat down with Thompson Thompson was trying to talk me out of it. He said, look, I don't know if you're going to play in the major leagues, but if you want a career in baseball, you should continue to play, yeah. come back to spring training because you're going to make a team. You don't need to worry about that. You'll make a team. Um, but, you know, when I really evaluated a chance to get my master's degree at a great university, I uh, get my feet wet as a coach. I just thought it was too good to pass up. And ultimately, I took that opportunity. I don't, you know, Scott Sharp, our assistant GM, would give me a hard time. I, I didn't actually retire because, you don't if you don't play long enough, you're not actually retiring. <laughs> so I, I quit. <laughs> so, um, but, I, but I went to George Washington, which is right, obviously, in Washington, D.C., and had a great time there. Two years, mm-hmm. learned a lot. Uh, Jay Murphy was the head coach. Uh, He gave me a lot of opportunity from recruiting, coaching catchers, coaching hitters. uh, And really, at that point, I thought, I want to be a head coach in college. That's what I want to do. So that transition was kind of seamless for me because, again, I I knew where I was as a player. I understood the the end was near. um, But this was a chance for me to start on a new path.
1: Yeah. Do you still keep in touch with that same guy who drafted you twice? That says a lot about you as a person that he, you said no, and then he came back and was like, we want you again.
0: Well, well one of those scouts, this is kind of odd, so the Cincinnati Reds, um, you know, when you go from New Jersey down to North Carolina, the area scout in North Carolina yeah. came by and said hello. His name is Paul Falk. Ironically, Paul Falk, by the time I was leaving George Mason, was with the Yankees, and Paul's the one who signed me. Who ironically also signed Matt Quatrero. So we did not know that going through the interview process, but Paul Falk gave me a call a couple days later and said, "Hey, you signed, you hired Q. That's great." I said, "How do you know Q?" He said, "I signed him." What and a small off. world! Yeah, it was really, really odd. But Paul Falk, he's still scouting with the the uh, San Francisco Giants, mm-hmm. and I'm thankful. And he ended up being my first supervisor when I went to scout. He went, he came over to to the Braves, and I ended up being his. He was my supervisor. I had an area, he was a cross-checker, so I spent a lot of years working with Paul as well.
1: All right, let's take a quick break here. Now, you, you mentioned before coaching. I wanted to coach. I wanted to coach. But what you're doing right now isn't isn't necessarily coaching. So somewhere, the, you know, the paths diverted, and, and one opportunity led to another, and it, it led you yeah. more down the baseball ops road. But at the time, coaching was so, uh, you know, appealing to you. Why, why was it so appealing to you?
0: Well, I love being on the field. Okay. I love the competition. Uh, I love seeing players get better. Um, you know, I don't know if I was any good as a coach, but I enjoyed it every day, and I gave him everything I had. Um, you know, the college world in coaching is very different than coaching here in professional baseball. Um, recruiting's involved, uh, working with parents and, and making sure that they feel comfortable <laughs> with where their son's going, and even when they're there, that they're comfortable. Uh, it's, it's different. Here it's 100 percent baseball. Yeah. You know, we still have relationships with parents, but it's very different uh, than when you're coaching in college. Um, so I just I just enjoyed being on the field. And a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to get back in uniform with the Royals and be a field coordinator, which I loved. You know, I, and it was great because I had a lot of great coaches around me and I was more coordinating, putting schedules together, yeah. uh, not specifically coaching hitters or catchers. But I was back in uniform and that was a lot of fun as well.
1: For some reason, I feel like there's a lot of catchers who who play, and that for some reason translates into being a good coach. I've you know a lot of them here even uh, you know have been catchers. Yeah, you were a catcher yourself. What is it about that position do you think that helps you be a better coach? Well,
0: this is kind of funny. Uh, so my grandfather who didn't play baseball. I remember I was seven years old. You're playing T ball, and you're standing in the outfield, and you're picking dandelions and all that stuff. <laughs> he said, you know, you need to catch because you're the only guy. And he was, a, ironically, a Cincinnati Reds fan in Johnny Bench. He said, Johnny Bench gets to see the entire field. You're, you're the only one facing the field. Yeah. And it kind of st- stood out with me. I, mean, I was seven years old, so however, 45 years ago. I still remember him saying that to me. And uh, once I got back there catching, of course, in t-ball, there's nothing to do with catching. But once it became kid pitch, you know, I started catching right away. And that's all I ever really did. I probably played maybe 10 games at first base, maybe two or three in left field or third base. But every other game I was catching. And and it just gives you that perspective. you The ball's hit to the fence, right center field, left center field. You see all the action behind. You see the shortstop and second baseman going in a double cut. You see what's happening with the third baseman and the first baseman. You're the only guy on the field that has that perspective. And I was reminded of that. A coach that we had who was an outfielder, who was a manager, first time managing, he played his outfield his entire career. And I said, what's the hardest part for you? He said. I don't know what's going on behind me. And now as a manager, I have to see what's going on behind. I have to stop watching the ball. I have to see what's going on behind the ball. Yeah. As a catcher, you had that perspective every play.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting and so true. It's almost like a, a quarterback position so to speak, because the pitcher rotates out. There's always a different pitcher, but, you know, the good catchers even, you see Salvi, he controls the game, yeah. but, you know, he's kind of their quarterbacking for yeah. lack of a better term. And the good ones are really able to do it in a way where, like, when the catchers, like, got it all going on, we're, we're doing fine. Like, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, and you, and you have that pitcher-catcher relationship yep. too. So you feel like you are a coach on the field. Yeah. I mean, the, the pitching coaches, the managers, they have their cues that they're going to, you know, verbally tell the pitcher, yeah. but – you have the ability right there all the time to have that communication with them, yeah. so you do get a little bit of a feel what it's like to manage a game as well.
1: So I want to talk more. You were in college doing your your college things, got your master, like you said. And when did you make the transition to pro ball? Because as as you said, there's a big difference between the two. You know, coaching at that college level and then moving in, you know, to working in pro ball.
0: Yeah. So I, I was um, I had spent the two years at GW, then I went back to George Mason and coached for three. And it was during those years, and and when you're coaching in college, you're recruiting, so you're running running in the same circles as the scouts are, the 30 major league teams. So I had to develop some relationships along the way, start asking questions, why do you enjoy this? Uh, What's the upside with scouting? Uh, But it really wasn't until I, I was about to accept a job at East Carolina University as the associate head coach, and I got a call from Dayton Moore. And he said, hey, look, we have a scouting job open. We got a scouting school. Uh, that's going on in Florida next week. My wife and I were in North Carolina on vacation. We were planning to go to Greenville, North Carolina, so she could see East Carolina's campus. And I ended up calling that head coach back and said, hey, I got an opportunity to go to a scout school, and it's a friend of mine, and I think I need to at least hear what they have to say. And after two days of a 10-day program, I said, this is what I want to do. The tough part was, from a financial Lama's standpoint, <laughs> I would have been a lot better off. Uh, and my wife was nine months pregnant with our first child. So trying to explain to Nicole why we're taking a $27,000 a year job versus 80 or whatever yeah. it was, was not the easiest conversation. Uh, but what it did do, it allowed us to stay close to family. Yeah. So instead of moving to North Carolina, we were in Northern Virginia at the time where Nicole and her mother uh, lived and we eventually moved to New Jersey. So there were, there were some benefits, but financially it didn't make a whole lot of sense. But um, from a career standpoint, uh, it, it made sense to me. And, and I just have always had this attitude, whatever you are, be good at what you're doing, mm-hmm. let things take place and yeah. just trust that you're doing the right thing. And ultimately it was the right thing for our family.
1: Now in just like the two or three stories you've told me, it's apparent to me and just in the little bit I know you as a person, you have a really strong intuition. I mean, when it comes to not playing, that was an intuition call. Your, your buddy told you, yeah. he's like, you're going to make a team. Just play, and you yeah. something told you not to, and then with this job as well, like going to your wife and saying that. Yeah. Intuition. I mean, where does that come from? That's such like an intangible thing.
0: Well, you know, it, it's I never thought about it like that, but you know, your your heart kind of tells you yeah. what's right and what's wrong, and uh, I I've never made any decisions based on finances. It's yeah. just not happiness is more important than what your checkbook yeah. says. Um, so I just have always lived by that. Um, You know, and fortunately, it allowed you to just make decisions with a clear mind Mm -hmm. and and not worry about things that aren't that important. Um, But, you know, I like intuition better than, you know, gut feel or whatever else you might say, but it it's worked out pretty well.
1: When you say it like that, you make it sound so easy, but you gotta give yourself more credit because there are so many external yeah. things coming in, whether it's uh, you know mentors or parents or, or friends or just anyone else. So when you say it like that, you yeah. make it sound like, oh, well, duh, but it's so mm-hmm. hard to do it yeah. and you've been able to do it.
0: Well, I think if you, if you listen to the people that you trust, yeah. hear what they have to say. Um, and the best thing for me, I've had people around me that tell me the truth. Yeah. Um, so it helps you have more clear thoughts um, work work through those tough decisions. But when you take all the information in and you listen well, you know, you're not always gonna make the right decision, but more often than not, I think you'll, you'll come out on top and at least not have any regrets.
1: Yeah, 100%. So you made that choice and, and started in scouting. You were starting your family very mm-hmm. young at the time. And you've had a lot of different positions. What have you learned from all of those different things that have taken you to where you are now? Because you're you're not a scout anymore. I mean, but what you've yeah. learned there is probably still so helpful for you today.
0: Yeah, I, I've again, been really lucky to be around a lot of really good baseball people, whether it's coaches or scouts. And the positions I had early on, so an area scout, you're you're almost like an independent contractor. You know, I'm, I would, at the time working for the Atlanta Braves, mm-hmm. but the 29 people I was around were the other clubs in my territory. Yeah. Rarely did I spend time with people in the Braves organization other than annual meetings, draft meetings, whatever it may be. Uh, So that that's a very different job. Uh, But then once I got into the front office with the Braves, uh, you know, I was given the great advice of, hey, just sit back and listen. There will come a time where it's time for you to speak. Mm -hmm. So that first year when I and I got into player development, which I really As a scout, I never really thought about, can I be a coach now on on the professional side? I just figured my path was gonna be scouting. Um, But when I was given the opportunity to be the Assistant Director of Player Development with the Braves, uh, we had a really good run going. We won 14 straight championships. Um, I got exposure to guys like John Sherholtz, Hall of Fame, general manager. uh, Frank Wren, who went on to be a longtime general manager. Dayton was in the front office. But then more so in, in my specific job, times like this spring training we were around a lot of legendary coaches guys who had developed chipper jones andrew jones tom glavin john smoltz you know all those guys that are you know either in the hall of fame or soon to be in the hall of fame um so it was hard not to listen um so i just sat in the back of the room and and took it all in and about a year and a half later it started to feel like okay i have some things to contribute here and it was just sort of a slow drip and i was never in a rush to get anywhere never had any real great aspirations to do this or that, I just figured, you know, my path will be determined by the job that I do. And fortunately, we had a lot of success with the Braves, and other opportunities came.
1: I feel like people need to take notes. This is like a master class on how to mm-hmm. like do. You know what I mean? Right. Just listen, take it mm-hmm. in. Uh, never be in too big of a hurry. Whatever you are, be good at it. Like you're dropping so much knowledge on for anyone, whatever field you're in, starting out in college. Mm-hmm. You want to be a nurse, you want to be a doctor, whatever you want to be. That's such great advice for anyone.
0: Well, we want things to happen so fast. Yes. But life goes fast. So if you're just patient, there's plenty of it. It's like going through it now with my my oldest son's 23, and he's at a crossroads now. Am I going to keep playing or not? And he's talking about, like, real-life stuff, which is great. You need to think about that. But it's don't speed it up. Yeah. Like You don't need to speed it up. You're, you're 23 years old. Take your time with it you'll know the right things to do and, and what path you may want to take, but let it come to you. Don't force anything. Mm-hmm. I was just lucky to be in positions where I didn't have to force anything.
1: Yeah, but you stood back, you, you took things in, and then you were ready to produce when you needed to yeah. produce. So much of that is like being a baseball player in that clubhouse. You know, They start mm-hmm. in, on the minor league side, and the, the goal is to just do your best yeah. every day. If that best gets a little bit better, eventually you get to the major league side, yeah. and then you do your best every day. And so there's so much of that that translates for these guys even on the field.
0: Absolutely, you know what's really difficult for minor league players is to not look what's ahead of them. Yes, you know if you're an A-ball and you're a second baseman, you're looking at what the second baseman in Double A is doing, and now you're looking at what the Triple A second baseman. Somebody signs a long-term contract. Well, that's my position. So how am I going to fit? You can't get caught up in that. You just got to take care of today and keep getting better. You know we don't like saying this a lot, but we'll say it. there's, there's a reason there's 30 teams, and there's 780 players any given night that are the elite of the elite. Mm-hmm. We want you to be a royal in the major leagues, but understand that your calling may be some somewhere else, might be with another team. But if you get caught up in what's ahead of me, you're not going to take care of what's in front of you. Yeah. And that's a message we consistently share with our players.
1: Which you did when you were with the Braves. You were taking care of things there. And then you made the jump over to the Royals. So there was a transition there. I'm sure at the time you probably thought you'd be with the Braves maybe your whole career.
0: Well, we, we had moved to Atlanta. Yeah. And we were maybe two and a half years into the move. Loved living in Georgia. Uh, the warm weather. We didn't <laughs> have to deal with the change of seasons. All those things that when you grow up in the Northeast, you, you part of why I went to NC State, You know, it was the same, same thought process. Um, but then the opportunity came to, to go to Kansas City and be a part of something that was a, a total rebuild. Um, the organization was coming, you know, going through some tough years. Um, you know, Mr. Glass wanted to make a commitment to scouting and player development. Our background, there were a handful of us who came from Atlanta. Our background was scouting and player development. Uh, but we just had a clean slate here and we could build it out any way we wanted to build it out. It was an exciting time, it was intimidating, you yeah. know, working with. Um, you know, at the time we probably had 150 employees on the scouting and development side, working with 150 people we really didn't know. There were a few that we had some relationships with. Um, so it was it was different. And at the time I, I was 06, so I was 36 and didn't have that much experience, um, but it was a lot of fun to do it and, and to plan how are we gonna get from point A to point B and what's our first step, what's our second step, what's our short-term vision, what's our long-term vision. Uh, so it was an exciting time. That It was the August of 06 when I first came over, but it was really getting into spring training of 07 when that all took place.
1: All right, let's take a quick break here.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Now, as you're doing all this, you know, jumping through the next strat for your career, you have a family, you have a wife, you're having kids. And so you're, you're trying to balance being a dad, being a husband, while also you know, having this job that's taken you all over the place. Yeah. And I'm sure that this is a whole family thing. Your family now, yeah. they, you don't do it alone. Baseball is not something you do alone. Your, your whole family has to be in on it. So I'm sure that there was a conversation there in everything that's going on in your career.
0: Yeah, it, you know, I'm fortunate because Nicole was very open-minded. Uh, she's very independent, which is important in, in this game because we spend so much time away from home. Uh, she loved being a mother and, you know, was a school teacher for a number of years. But then once the travel came, kids getting sick all the time and just wasn't working out. Uh, but I had that support. Uh, but, you know, what's neat about it is really our, when we moved to Kansas City, our oldest was in first grade and our youngest was two. So they're Kansas Cityans. They've yeah. grown up in Kansas City. But they've watched the, the lows to the highs to the lows. And they live and die with every game. You know, they, they, they love the Royals. Um, so it's it's been a great family experience. It doesn't come without challenges. Yeah. Uh, the kids were, were all playing sports, so you know we reached a point. I forget what year it was, but we had one son playing in Arizona, one son playing in Texas, and it was the first time that one parent could at least be somewhere. Yeah. Um, and that was a that was a hard time yeah, because you're punch. all yeah you're always at the games. We had good uh, families on the club on on the teams we played with. Um, so it really wasn't, you know, it, the kids didn't even know the difference. Yeah. You know, you feel like they're hanging on every, every game that you're at or not at. They, they didn't know the difference. They just mm-hmm. liked playing. They enjoyed playing and the travel. Um, but it comes with challenges because you're away from home a lot and you can't quite uh, have this normal family structure that you like to have. And, I, and growing up again, uh, a son, I had one brother. Uh, Kevin and I, our parents were school teachers. So it was family dinners every night, yeah. weekends off, summers off. You know, and our lifestyle is completely different. So, um, But when you're doing what you love to do and your family supports you, you kind of get the best of both worlds.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. Now, you talk about your family and the support from them and, and how important that was. How do you balance some of that with what you're doing? Baseball is a, a business, so you get to know the guys in the locker room. You get to know their wives, their kids. We see little the little grandkids running around the locker room, yeah. and Dozier brings his kids in, and they're they're so it's so cool to get to know those kids yeah. and you get to know them as people. But it's also a business, so how do you balance that? Knowing that they're going home to their families and their job here matters for their families.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's a stressful job for the players. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I don't think anybody, including myself, can understand the weight that's on players' shoulders every night because they're they're judged so much on their performance that night, mm-hmm. especially in the world of social media. They're they're going to hear about it. You can't avoid it. So, if, part of our job is to make them as comfortable as they can possibly be. So doing things like allowing kids to be in the clubhouse, that's easy. Mm-hmm. You know that they, it is not a problem at all to have kids in the clubhouse. There comes a certain point prior to a game, or okay, we got we got a game to play in an hour, hour and a half, whatever it is. But players understand that, but they appreciate that we're allowing families to be around and if that frees their mind up and helps them manage their family lives that's important to us and ultimately you know selfishly it leads to performance you know so so it's kind of a this big loop that you 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 kind of work through um but that's a big part of what we need to do and need to recognize and that's something you're just talking to to matt uh quattrero i didn't know what the norm was in tampa or what they would do but You know, he's got two young kids himself, so he's wide open to having kids in the clubhouse and, you know, whatever's permissible on the field, you know, giving them that experience of being out on the field with major league players. You know, those kids are gonna remember that for a lifetime. That's part of their childhood memories. You know, you think about it, 81 nights of the year, they're gonna be away from home. So for the 81 nights that they are at home, it's nice to be able to provide just a little bit. And if it makes them happier, that's great.
1: I wanna hear some from you about what it's like scouting scene drafting these guys when they're 17 18 19 20 and then watching them grow as players mature and turn into men yeah. and i know we talked about this uh, you know in the dugout last season about Hosmer and Mustakas mm-hmm. and, and those guys yeah. and they were just they were so young when yeah. when they came to us and and watching their careers develop and and watching them have kids and become people yeah. it's got to be so rewarding
0: it is, and, and um, you know, going through those years where we, you know, were winning fourteen and fifteen, and just to see the national stage that they stepped up on, it, it's hard not to reflect on whether it's being in Hosmer's house before we drafted him, uh, talking to Moose when he hit one home run in the first half of his first year, and he thought his world was ending. Um, you know, Ha's going through struggles and and many others, but those two because they had reached the pinnacle of the game. And just watching how much the city revered who they were were what they represented uh how the national audience just took a, a absolute love in watching them play was very rewarding um, but you know what just as rewarding are guys that maybe don't get to the major yeah. leagues but you you watch them work through their struggles and you know that they're more prepared for life um, because of the things that we were able to do with them we put a lot of emphasis on on character character and building men um that's that's an important part of what we do Uh, i think players tend to come into our system a little bit more grown up than they were 15 years ago for whatever reason life again may be moving faster than it did before Um, but it still doesn't mean they don't hit these moments and i don't think we go a day uh, i don't go a day personally where there's not something you're thinking about with a player that may be non-baseball related and how can we help yeah You know, and I know our coaches, that's why we always talk about the managers are the backbones of our organization, talking specifically about our minor league managers, um, because they're dealing with them day to day. You know, the ups and downs and the struggles and, you know, the girlfriend problems, the family (laughs) problems. I mean, all of those things come up throughout the year. And when you have good managers in your system, you're able to help those players get through the tougher times. And that's why we put so much time into who we have on our staffs.
1: Yeah. You bring up managers. I got to ask you about Q because, uh, you know, jumping in, he's, he's brand new, but I interviewed him and I've gotten to know him a little bit. There's a lot of similarities between you guys. Both his parents were teachers too. Yeah. So the teaching like yeah. aspect is deep in his roots too. Yeah. And, you know, you guys crossed paths or, or had a mutual connection. Um, you know, I feel like you guys are similar in a lot of ways. Does that contribute to, to having a good relationship?
0: Well, you know, there's there's certain relationships that are really important, and the the general manager manager relationship is one of them. Um, You know, when we went through the process of interviewing managers, it wasn't necessarily about their their baseball knowledge. That that's important, but nobody it was in our final pool didn't have baseball knowledge. But it's how well do they communicate that knowledge, and how well how much can I or how how good do I feel about working with this person? But there was a real natural conversation that took place from the first time I called Q on the phone, um, that really just got stronger and stronger through the interview process. We can talk about anything. Uh, He's very relatable. I think that's something that's going to really pay dividends for us with our players. Yeah. Um, but that bond that we're starting to form, and it'll get stronger and stronger, we got off to a really good start. And that's where the comfort really was. The good thing for me was, I know I felt it in the interview, but we had a panel of seven people. When the interview was over, they felt it as well. So he And he was connecting with not only like somebody with my background, but he was connecting with... You know, our R&D department, performance science department, all these different departments we have. He They felt that connection yeah. as well. Uh, so I think that speaks to, you know, sort of his ability to communicate yeah. um, and relate to people. It's standing out even spending a week here so far. You know, his minor league background really, I think, is what has helped shape him. Yeah. And for where our team is and our timeline and how we think about development, he's the perfect fit mm-hmm. for this group of players right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too, and I'm excited to watch him get to work and and get to work with the guys. You talk a lot about listening in this. How important and how important is it for a leader to be a good listener? And I think that's such an aspect of leadership that you embody, and I think Q is going to embody as well.
0: Yeah, no, I I think if I had to list out what are characteristics you need in great leaders, listening would be at the top or right near the top. I mean, you, you have to hear what people say. You know, it's not that, you know, whether it's Q or myself, we have our thoughts. You know, we have, you know, we've sat in seats where we weren't the leader of an organization or a team. And you're constantly thinking about what would I do in that situation? But the reason you have those thoughts and you have those convictions is because if you do a good job listening, you're getting to better answers. And, you know, ultimately we're trying to make the best decisions we can on a daily basis. And the only way you're gonna be able to do that, regardless of the decision you're making, is to listen. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, what's the saying? Somebody told me this years ago, you never learn anything when you're talking. You don't wanna sit in the front of a room and dominate the room. You know, we went through meetings the last couple nights the, they were some of the best meetings I've ever been a part of because everybody was talking. Yeah. It, Q said very little. I said very little. The people that are going to be coaching are. it was pitcher, pitchers meetings. Mm-hmm. They were doing all the talking and we were doing a lot of listening, but also a lot of learning. Yeah. And, and when you listen, you learn.
1: I would love to know what advice you would give your 20 year old self.
0: Well, um, you know, I, again, I had some great mentors, but, um, you know, I, I think the looking back there, there's always some disappointments in your career. I interviewed for a couple jobs I didn't get. Uh, there were some jobs that maybe I was interested in that I wasn't considered for. Um, just in some ways, don't put too much into it. Yeah. If you just if you just really focus on what you're doing right now, uh, there's a there's a reason why you'll end up where you're going to end up. And if this job doesn't work out or that job doesn't work out, don't worry about it. Okay. And also, um, you know, I've already spoke to this, but. You know, give it time. You know, you don't have to move fast. And there were times, even though I felt like I managed it well, there were times you wanted things a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you when you start looking to the next job, mm-hmm. you're not doing your current job well. And there were times in my career that you know I didn't manage that well. So that would be my advice. You know, focus on what you're doing right now, and good things will happen down the road.
1: All right, we're gonna finish off with some lightning round questions. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. These are super serious. So okay, what is your favorite TV show to unwind from work? Oh. What do you watch?
0: I should be able to answer that quickly, but i i don't I don't watch a lot. I watch Netflix. Like, okay. I'll, I'll I'll flip through Netflix. Um, so, what's a
1: show that you watch over and over again, like The Sopranos or something? Well,
0: I love The Sopranos. It's been a few years, but that was that was during my scouting years. And rushed to a hotel to get to a hotel has HBO, so you can watch this week's episode of Sopranos. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I really don't. I don't have one. I hate to say that, but I don't have a show that I'd wind down to. All right. To. I, that's your I, job for this white, season. White noise in the background is kind of what it is for me. I fall asleep. I mean, if I lay down, I'm out okay. with, within five minutes. All
1: right. You're one of those. All right. Well, that's <laughs> it for the next season. If we interview you next season okay. and you don't have a show. I'll have to get a show. Yes. All right. What is a uh, song on your playlist? What kind of music are you listening to?
0: uh well i I like a lot of different music but i love you too i mean (laughs) i i I listen to you too all the time um you know the other one it's you know i think they sound like you too um the verb Uh, i listen to the verb i like the verb so i'm you too i actually went to watch dave matthews friday night that was that was a great concert so i it's more in that uh Late 80s, early 90s genre. I love Pearl Jam. Yeah, so I'm I'm more in you know, my high school and college years. You know, all those types of bands. The, those, grunge, the grunge stage, I guess, is those what it was. have
1: all stood the test of time. They have. They're yeah. awesome. Yeah.
0: You know, I was embarrassed, though, that Dave Matthews, uh, they didn't play all of their classics. So I was left a little disappointed, you know. <laughs> so, But they were great. Yeah. I mean, the energy, they played for about three hours. They were awesome. Oh,
1: my gosh. Yeah,
0: they played. They went and went and went. It was, it was great.
1: If you could play an instrument, what would you play?
0: Well, I actually played the piano a little bit as a kid, and I wish I had continued. Okay. I, I really enjoy it. Like I can listen to people play the piano all the time. Actually, when we had Danny Duffy, Danny Duffy could play the piano, and it was it was fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, if you could scout yourself, what would you have said about yourself as a as player? as a player? Yes. Oh
0: God, <laughs> I, I could catch and throw. Uh, I thought I could hit at the time, but looking back, I couldn't hit at all. <laughs> so <laughs> that was the biggest problem. You just
1: problem. said give up, kid. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, yeah, that was – and you know what? I had a scout, a longtime scout. actually just passed away. Don Kohler, uh, when I was – scout, he worked for the Major League Scouting Bureau, which yeah. is not in existence anymore. In ex- existence, I'm sorry. He gave me my scouting report yeah. from when he saw me in high school, and that was kind of neat to see. Yeah. But the, the bat grade was a little, <laughs> a little low. The catch and throw was fine. There you go. Yeah.
1: What is – your favorite, like, movie, baseball movie or, or other movie?
0: Well, Bull Durham. Yes. You know, I mean, it's hard not to like Bull Durham. And, again, that was right, you know, when I was in college and had, going to NC State, going over to Durham Athletic Park yeah. was kind of a neat thing, the old park. Now they have a new park there. Uh, but Bull Durham is, is a classic and hard not to like. Yeah. Uh, I, I always tried to debate with my boys, oh, what age can I let them watch bull durham you know because there's a few there's a few things in yeah. there but, but what i found out is when i let them watch it they had already seen it like five or six times so they were ahead of me anyway there you
1: go they were trying to pull one over yeah. on you sounds, sounds about right um if there's any player you know living or dead that you could chat with pick their brain who would that be
0: well again i, I had the opportunity to do this and yeah. it was one of the greatest experiences of my life so growing up in philadelphia mike schmidt was my favorite player okay So the big debate at the time was Mike Schmidt or George Brett a better player. And actually, one of my best friends was a Royals fan, and we had this debate all the time. And when you go back and look at their career numbers, it's incredible how close their numbers are. Like RBIs are off by, like, one. Yeah. Schmidt's got more home runs. George has got a much higher batting average and base hits. So we were the Phillies opener about 10 years ago, home opener. And George and Mike threw out the first pitch, and I got to spend the day – listening to those two talk uh, in the box. And that was like the highlight of my career. Yeah, uh, To listen to George talk about how great Mike was. Mike was talking about how great George was. And they are completely different personalities. So I didn't get a chance to talk specifically to Mike, but I got a chance to listen to him talk and that was awesome. Incredible. Yeah.
1: What is your go-to meal? if you are coming home you're you know had a good day had a bad day what do you want to eat
0: Um, i'm a steak guy okay yeah i I love steak um ribeyes in particular (laughs) so i i i And they're easy. It's one thing I can cook. I can okay. throw. I can throw a steak on a grill and cook a pretty good steak.
1: All right, sounds good. We'll have you do that next time. Okay. You'll come to us with the TV show, and you okay. will cook us all steaks. Okay. You, you got heard it here first, everyone. You got it. Thank you so much, JJ, for being our guest today. We're so excited for Royals baseball in 2023.
0: Now we are too. I, I think we got an exciting team that's going to really make some great strides this year, and you know I'm I'm really looking forward to it.
1: All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. This has been the Homestand, the official podcast of the Kansas City Royals. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to your podcast. You're going to want to hit that subscribe button because we've got episodes coming your way. We're so excited for it, and we can't wait to see you next time.